DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from Dr. Lillis's lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's an author of several books, including Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation on Prayer, and Fire from Above, Christian Contemplation and Mystical Wisdom. In this particular series of conversations, we will focus on the spiritual writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and in particular, her retreat entitled Heaven in Faith. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you again. We are about to enter into the second prayer on the second day of the retreat. Help us to kind of place ourselves what we would be experiencing if we were taking this retreat in a Carmelite setting. Okay. Well, the retreat requires to really enter into it. You need to make a little bit of space in your life for some silence. That's probably one of the greatest characteristics of the Carmelite life is that is that silence, mental prayer, period where you're not engaged in anything, but you give God your full attention. This is a regular part of their life. And the way Blessed Elizabeth is envisioning is that you'd set aside some time in the morning for this and some time in the evening for this. And what you would do when you'd hear these reflections it wouldn't be just about kind of analyzing them and tearing them apart. But as you hear reflection being read, usually there's a, a word, a phrase, a sentence that kind of resonates with you. And that's for this Carmelite monastic spirituality, allowing the text to do that. The conviction is that somehow God is speaking to you through that sentence or that phrase. And so after it's read through, you would return to that phrase and, and you would have a, a conversation with the Lord in prayer. You know, what does this mean, Lord? What is it that you're speaking to my heart through this passage? Or you could spend like an hour to an hour and a half with each one of these reflections. I, I think sometimes in our busy life, if we can spend 10 minutes in reflection, we're doing pretty good. So we'll need to, each one of us, adapt this to our own life circumstances. Uh, if you could imagine this being done in a, in a monastery, Elizabeth is on retreat while she's writing this. Uh, she's in an infirmary while she's writing this. And she's spending time reading, studying, meditating in God's Word. And the fruit of her meditations are she writes down and she's going to give these to her sister the whole first day. We went from from the heart of Christ for friendship to this transforming awareness of his presence that leads us to die to ourselves to live a converted life. And then in the second day, she's bringing us a little bit deeper into this mystery. She's saying that in order to enjoy the Lord's presence, in order to allow this presence to transform you, you need to not be involved with exterior activities as much, but to turn your attention to the reality that's unfolding in your heart, the reality of God's presence, the kingdom of God is within. And you go there into the kingdom of God, you discover it through love. Love that is deeper than the, our psychological operations, deeper than our feelings, our thoughts, our intuitions, our fantasies, our imagination, our memories. It's 
that this love of God is in the very substance of our soul. If we choose to dwell in God's love, choose to allow ourselves uh, to be aware of that presence, to live in that presence, to live by that presence, to live in love, we enter into our deepest center, the place where we're most at rest. Until we do that, when we just allow ourselves to be influenced a little bit by the love of God, we still love God. God loves us. But other things have a command over our heart. Uh, Other things are able to distract us away from God. But when we enter into the deepest center and live out of that deepest center of God's love in us, Elizabeth is saying, you're untouchable by anything. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. This is what she wants for her sister, mother of two young children, uh, trying to keep house in the world. And it's something that Elizabeth believes is possible for all her spiritual friends. Besides her sister, she had a lot of friends that she tried to get them to go into this deepest center, kind of abide with the Lord, live in his presence, allow the Lord to love us uh, so that we can live out of that love, so that we can share that love with others. In the second prayer on the second day, it almost seems as though we're entering into an examine type of prayer. And that's what I love about her is you can incorporate almost all of the great traditions in reflecting with Elizabeth of the Trinity. But in this one, she calling us to come down and take a look at something more important. I think your idea of a consciousness examine where you're looking at the interior movements of your heart and you're submitting those to the Lord uh, is exactly what she has in mind. She writes in this next prayer. Hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. The Master unceasingly repeats this word to our soul, which he once addressed to Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down. But what is this descent which he demands of us, except an entering more deeply into our interior abyss? This act is not an external separation from external things, but a solitude of spirit, a detachment from all that is not God. As long as our will has fancies that are foreign to divine union, whims that are now yes, now no, we are like children. We do not advance with giant steps in love, for fire has not yet burnt up all the alloy. The gold is not pure. We are still seeking ourselves. God has not consumed all our hostility to him. But when the boiling cauldron has consumed every imperfect love, every imperfect sorrow, every imperfect fear, then love is perfect and the golden ring of our alliance is larger than heaven and earth. This is the secret cellar in which love places his elect. This love leads us by ways and paths known to him alone, and he leads us with no turning back, for we will not retrace our steps. This consciousness examine that you refer to, this is a a wonderful part of the Ignatian tradition. Elizabeth certainly would have been aware of it. 
and it's different than an examination of conscience. When we, we're doing an examination of our conscience, what we're trying to determine is sin that is there. We're asking the question, what do I need to repent of? What is my conscience convicting me of right now? With the consciousness examine uh, from the Ignatius tradition, it may involve, and often does involve, an awareness of sin, but it also involves what is God doing in my heart? How has God been acting in my heart for the last six hours or however often you do it? I know some people actually do a consciousness examine at the top of each hour. You know, what's God been doing in this last hour? I'm not as good at it. For me, it's a couple times a day where I just stop and go, now, what has God been up to? In a certain way, I think, Chris, you're, you're right. She's calling us to that kind of awareness of ourselves. What is God doing in me? And she's using to help us to identify ourselves with Zacchaeus. We've been attracted by Jesus. We've heard wonderful things about him. And we want to have an encounter with him ourselves personally. We want to see him with our own eyes. And so what is in the heart of Zacchaeus before he is invited to come down by Christ? Zacchaeus is searching for Christ. In the earlier prayer, the kingdom of God is within you. Those words resonate to a soul that is searching for the presence of Christ. Where is Christ in my life? Where is he in my heart? Uh, he, he's in the depths of who I am. That's almost like a, a prerequisite to be able to enter into this deeper awareness of self, deeper awareness of what God is doing in our depths. We need to be seeking Christ. If we're not seeking Christ, a lot of people go into their depths and they lose hope or they get lost or they never have a life-changing encounter with God because in going to the depths, they weren't looking for Christ, the Word, the Word of truth, the visible image of the invisible God, the revelation of the Father. They're not searching for the loving gaze of the Father that only Christ can show us. If we're not looking for that kind of thing and we go in by mental exercises into ourselves and things, it might relax us, I suppose. It might help us slow down a little bit and not be as inhuman in our relationships with others. But it's not particularly salvific. What Elizabeth is pointing to in this passage is a salvific encounter with Christ. So if we're searching for him and we, in our prayers, we withdraw from exterior activity and we turn our attention to, uh, to Christ and we, we look for him, this is where Jesus is able to speak to us the words that he spoke to Zacchaeus who was doing the same thing. Hurry and come down. I must stay in your house. This passion that Jesus has to dwell with us, which has been a running theme in this retreat, is again found here in the encounter that Zacchaeus has with Christ and that Elizabeth is, um, is suggesting, is proposing, is an encounter with Christ that we too can have. Here it is revealed he wants to dwell with us. He wants friendship with us. He wants to share his life with us. And he wants us to share our life with him. But for him to be able to do that, we have to come down. To come down, this this is an image of humility. The word humility itself, humus, comes from the Latin word humus. Uh, that means fertile soil. 
and people who return to themselves, people who are humble, they realize that everything that is good, true, and wonderful about them is put there by God. It's not their achievement. It's not something that they've uh, cleverly concocted their ability to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. The really good things in our lives are gifts from God that he's given us. And to open ourselves to uh, God's work, to allow God to complete his work, in this case, reveal to allow God to dwell with us, we need to come down into our humanity and accept ourselves who we are. Hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. The Master unceasingly repeats this word to our soul, which he once addressed to Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down. But what is this descent which he demands of us, except an entering more deeply into our interior abyss? This act is not an external separation from external things, but a solitude of spirit, a detachment from all that is not God. By coming down and accepting the brokenness of our humanity, that's not the same as, as excusing it or pretending that the way we hurt others is somehow okay. It's not okay. It's broken. But allowing ourselves, our hearts to be pierced by our, our brokenness, our poverty, our inability to love, this is what it means to come down, to be real with God. When we come down like this, now God can dwell with us. When we accept the truth of who we are, now Christ can dwell with us. Another thinker who got to the very same idea is somebody who is very influential on Pope Benedict. There was a priest professor, Romano Guardini, who wrote a book on prayer and the virtues you need for the spiritual life. One of the main virtues he identifies, which has always stuck in my mind, was the, the virtue of courage. And he says that courage isn't so much the ability to confront enemies who are on the outside threatening you. That's bravery. When you stand up against an aggressor, that takes bravery. He says, this courage that I have in mind that you need in the spiritual life is the courage to accept yourself for who you are. In all your brokenness and all your poverty, it takes courage to accept that. When we do, Elizabeth is saying in this passage, this is what allows Jesus to dwell in us, to dwell with us in a deeper way. If we're not willing to accept the truth about where we are before God and who we are, it impedes Jesus from being able to come into our home. It impedes Jesus from being able to commune with us. All of this is kind of contained in this invitation to come down, I need to stay in your house, that Jesus gives us. We, each of us, are Zacchaeus and Elizabeth of the Trinity's reflection. The next paragraph here is powerful. And this gets much more into the consciousness examine that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. As long as our will has fancies that are foreign to divine union, whims that are now yes, now no, we are like children. We do not advance with giant steps in love, for fire has not yet burnt up all the alloy. Now, she loves to use the word fire 
has a symbol or a, um, a description, a name for the Holy Spirit. And what she's saying in here is there are part places in our heart as we enter in, as we come down, as we accept ourselves, we see that there are a lot of things God is going need to take care of. God is going need to burn up in his love. I guess I'm wanting to stress here, accepting our brokenness doesn't mean excusing it or pretending that it's okay. Accepting our brokenness means it's a realization that there are parts in my life that I can't deal with on my own by my own resourcefulness. There are parts of my life that only God can deal with. And Elizabeth of the Trinity is saying, that's right. It's the fire of God's love alone that can deal with that brokenness, that misery, that absence of love in your life. And we must trust him deeper. As long as we do not live in that trust, as long as we do not allow God to deal with those parts of our lives, God loves us, he's with us, but um, we're not stable. We're uh, yes now, no now. I said in a previous uh, program, Teresa of Avila experienced this. This was torment. She says, this is the worst stage of the spiritual life. This is the stage of beginning the spiritual life. When you think that you can kind of be spiritual sometimes, but then also be worldly at other times, and you're going to do this balancing act. She said, you know, looking back on my life, and she says this in her autobiography, that was exhausting. That was tormenting. I, I don't know why I spent so many years doing that. Elizabeth is inviting us with this call from Jesus to hurry and come down to make the decision to radically surrender to the Lord so that we can come into a stability, a greater peace, so that we're not tormented anymore, jerked this way and that way by our emotional life, but we stay rooted in him. We might have very strong emotional movements. The way grace works, it doesn't magically make things go away. Rather, grace gives us the riches of Christ to deal with this brokenness in our lives and so that we were able to give glory to God in the midst of, of the things that are holding us back from him. Elizabeth uses another word here that is very key in her writings. I'll probably come back to this in future programs. She says, The gold is not pure. We are still seeking ourselves. God has not consumed all our hostility to him. And uh, this hostility is specifically the thing that I think we need to accept is in our lives. We aren't neutral to God. To say that there's an absence of God's love in us doesn't mean that, you know, it's kind of like a, a vacuum and it's completely open and ready to receive that love at any time. No, the reason God's love is absent to us, we are hostile towards God. Even if we believe in him, even if we've repented of sin and we begged him to come into our life and to love us, there are pockets in our heart where we resist him. We say we want him to be there but we don't really want him to be there because if he was there, well, we don't know what would happen to our lives. We're afraid of what it might mean. We're afraid to surrender it. In the spirituality of Elizabeth of the Trinity, indeed in Carmelite spirituality, there is no room for fear. Teresa of Avila, you must with determined effort and great courage confront your fears and humbly but boldly say yes to God. 
this is what is resonating, uh, echoing in Elizabeth's teaching here. She's inviting us to more radically say yes to God. She's telling us as long as we don't say yes to God, as long as there's hostility in our heart that we're not willing to deal with, our love is imperfect. But we do not have to live with imperfect love. That's not God's will for us. God wants us to live in a perfect love for him to help us get into that place where we're loving perfectly. We need to surrender our hostility to him. I came into a realization of the hostility to God that I have in my own life. Once I was praying about the crucifix and I I thought it very curious that I first try to look at the crucifix, the initial response in my heart is, I don't want to get the crucifix. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why is this that when I turn my attention to you crucified for my sake, why is it there's something in me that doesn't want to look at that, that doesn't want to think about it, that wants to turn my eyes away from it? What's going on in my heart? And I came to realize in that prayer that what was going on in my heart was I was coming up against some hostility I had towards God. Some deep place where uh, I didn't want to accept the price that was paid for me. Some deep place where I wasn't as grateful for what God had done in my life. In some deep place, I was rejecting God. And that's why I had this kind of initial response to the crucifix. So do you see there are moments, places where you can recognize this hostility to God? But when the boiling cauldron has consumed every imperfect love, every imperfect sorrow, every imperfect fear, then love is perfect, and the golden ring of our alliance is larger than heaven and earth. This is the secret cellar in which love places his elect. This love leads us by ways and paths known to him alone, and he leads us with no turning back, for we will not retrace our steps. Another place where you could probably come into contact, recognize the hostility to God that you have in you, is in the midst of an apostolate God might entrust to you of some kind or another. It might be going to a nursing home or working as a catechist in a parish or working at a soup kitchen. When you go to do those works, if you noticed inside you kind of a resistance, a desire to draw back, a desire not to be there, don't be discouraged by that experience. Praise God that you see it because God is letting you glimpse for just a little bit and only as much as you can deal with, he's letting you glimpse the hostility you have towards him, the hostility his love will overcome if we trust him. But to overcome that hostility, he needs us to be able to recognize it so that we surrender it to him. That's going on in in this prayer. We're being invited to surrender our hostility to God so that God can lead us into perfect love. And the beauty for the Catholic, Anthony, isn't it true that he doesn't leave us alone? He does give us that communion with himself to be able to help us to bear it through. And I'm thinking in particular, you know, the great graces that flow from our sacramental encounters through the the Eucharist, through reconciliation, confession, those moments where he really gets into 
those areas and can help heal us in a way that is, well, we say we believe in the visible and the invisible. It does really get in there in a way that we may not even be able to quantify or, or articulate. Now, this is true. Every time we receive the sacraments um, uh, or spend time in Eucharistic adoration, that's kind of a, an extended experience of the, of the grace of Holy Communion. Every time we go to confession, those experiences of the sacraments are encounters with Christ. They're spirit-filled encounters with Christ where Christ meets us and gives us in a deeper and more powerful way the gift of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, which is this burning love which consumes, purifies, begins to transform this inner hostility that we have. And so, so yeah, the spiritual life is hard work. But you're right. God, Jesus, comes to meet us all the time in the sacraments. And the main reason why he's coming to meet us is he wants us to win this battle. He, uh, he doesn't want us to have to be subject to our hostility, to the lack of love in us. He wants us to know the triumph, the victory of love. He also comes to us through study of the Word of God, through reading the lives of the saints. He can come to us also through those that he's entrusted to our love. For example, our children or our spouse or our parents. He can come to us all those ways, in all the different ways that he comes to us, he's always pouring out the Holy Spirit in a new way. And that Holy Spirit, this fire of God's love, as it's poured out in our life, it consumes the hostility we have towards him. One of the most remarkable places where uh, Jesus can come to us that Teresa of Calcutta helped us see is Jesus can come to us in the distressing disguise of the poor. The poor, those who are in need, the lonely those who've been abandoned and left behind by society, those who are unwanted. Teresa of Calcutta, he said, Jesus is in them like a disguise. They are like, in many ways, another kind of sacrament. John Chrysostom, reflecting on the same reality, when we receive Holy Communion, when we receive Jesus in the host, how can we welcome Jesus into our hearts if we will not welcome the poor who are in our midst? The power of this is if we are hospitable to the poor, if we do welcome Christ wherever and however he comes to us, that is how we open up our hearts to the fire of God's love, the fire of God's love which gives us that grace by which our hostility to the Lord is surrendered to him and he is able to perfect our love. Beautiful. And we're only on the second day. We're just now completing the second day. I can't wait to continue on this journey with Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Thank you so much, Anthony. God bless you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Be sure to check out the comprehensive summary and reflection questions contained in the show notes for this episode. These resources are specifically designed to enhance your prayer life and to aid you on your spiritual journey. To find more programs in this series and hundreds of other spiritual formation programs and prayers, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find them within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. 
And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.